It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. The Baby Elephant March is a song that sounds exactly like what it is. When you hear that it's an, song... It's an automatopoeia. Yeah, it's an automatopoeia. When you hear that song, you really know that's about a baby elephant going for a march. Alright, here we go. <clears throat> and today, the letter is the letter P. I'm hey, Ed. Hey, I'm Peter. There, oh, you got in there. Peter with a P. That's how it goes. Alright, Magic Cup is being shuffled. Say when, Pete. Do it. Do it? Alright. The word is... Paleontology. Paleontology, eh? Paleontology. Well, I tossed this one in, so I'll jump in on the uh, definition. Who are you? Uh, I'm Ed. And I'm Peter. I... Didn't we do that? Okay. Maybe we missed that part. Uh, Paleontology. Paleontology is probably most commonly thought of as the study of dinosaurs. But I uh, believe it's uh, anything pre-Holocene period. So anything, um, uh, the Holocene period is what, 15,000 years ago, end of the last ice age? So anything pre-15,000 years ago, which is a lot of things, let's be honest. A lot of things happened between, uh, you know, 200 million years ago and 15,000 years ago. So that's a lot to study. There's a lot of, lot of life to study in there. Did you ever go through a dinosaur stage, Peter? Were you, did you, were you a dinosaur kid? Not really. I mean, like, I was to the extent that every kid is, but, like, I wasn't, it wasn't my major focus. Like, you had, you had plastic dinosaurs, I'm assuming? Yeah, and books and stuff. I think everybody did. You know what my favorite thing about the plastic dinosaurs is? And I saw this on the internet. I can't take credit for this. But somebody realized that, you know, dinosaurs became oil. Oil became plastic. Plastic became dinosaurs. So when you're playing with a plastic dinosaur, you're playing with a dinosaur dinosaur. That's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the circle uh, of life. So, uh, what do you know about paleontology? Or would you like me to talk uh, a bit? Uh, next to nothing. <laughs> I, I also know next to nothing. Honestly, it was, a, it was a P word that came up. And I think, you know, obviously, because I grew up watching Friends, paleontology was Ross's job. So that's how I got into it. Are you serious? Ross was a paleontologist? Ross was a paleontologist. That was his job on the show. That they, is more believable than Monica having been a chef. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. No, they used his job really well. I mean, some TV shows barely use the character's job. Like, it's just a tiny, tiny little footnote in the character. But on Friends, they really used it well. It always upset me uh, that Monica was supposed to be a chef because, I mean, her schedule didn't reflect that at all. Yeah. Um, the state of her hands and fingernails didn't reflect that at all. This um, because you yeah. are a chef. You have a personal <laughs> grievance with this. It just made It just made no sense. I mean, aren't there supposed to be... You know, people who work in film and television who make things seem real. Like, that's true. That's a, that's a job. There's the, a title for that. The verisimilitude of the... Continuity, a continuity director. A continuity director, a script coordinator. The verisimilitude of Friends um, that really bugged you was Monica's hands and the fact that they didn't respect, didn't reflect her job. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, did not, I did not study paleontology. It's certainly not something I know a great deal about. But one of the things I like about it is that it's one of the, the newer sciences. Like, as far as sciences go, paleontology is, is, is quite new. It only started in sort of the uh, 1800s, maybe the late 1700s, which, you know, as far as sciences, is, is quite, a, quite a more recent development. Well, I didn't, I, I have never studied paleontology. I did take a rocks for jocks course, as we called it in university. 
because I needed a science credit. And so I took a geology course. Where does the jocks and, part come into it? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. It was, I, I, I don't know. That's just what we called it. <laughs> I guess it was supposed to be a bird course. It wasn't actually all that difficult, to be fair. Mm. Um, and I got to learn some things about rocks. Um, but what I also learned is that geology is also a very new science. Oh, yeah. um, and there's a parallel here because geology came about basically in German coal mining regions, right? That's sort of where the science started because you've got a bunch of coal miners and they're looking for better coal seams, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. And they're digging through layers of rock and they start noticing things and documenting them and so on and so forth. And so we have geology. And to circle back to the plastic dinosaurs being made out of dinosaurs, uh, once you start drilling for oil, you're drilling through different layers of sediment and mm. different layers of the planet's history. And so while the search for coal gave birth to geology, I would imagine that the search for oil gave birth to paleontology. Well, paleontology was something that had to be sort of fought over as a science because this was a, you know, in a time when, and I'm saying this very generally, again, I don't have a perfect knowledge about this, but it was a time when, you know, things like evolution had only just started to be discussed and certainly extinction was something that was not commonly accepted as scientific fact. There was a guy named, uh, and it's French name, I'm probably going to mispronounce it. There's a guy named Georges Cuvier who famously first started discussing extinction. Um, because when people used to find... Well, he was a lot of fun at parties. I'll bet he was a lot of fun at parties. When they used to find <laughs> bones, fossil bones, they used to find, you know, dinosaur bones, they would say, it's an animal bone. We know this. Somebody buried an animal or an animal died and was buried. But this guy came along and he was, uh, you know, a professor of whatever it was, biology, studying comparative anatomy. And he said, no, these are not animals that existed. These are animals that, that do not exist anymore. And he did it by proving that the... And I, I'm, I feel like I'm very good slash bad at telling these idiomatic recollections of history, which are probably mostly flawed, but have a little bit of story to them, a little bit of narrative to them. He it's, proved... It's, it's, this is better than the ejaculate one. He... <laughs> yeah, well, I did my best. He proved that mammoths were not elephants, and it was a big thing to be able to say, look, these are not the animals that we have now. These were extinct animals, and that really started to develop it as a science by saying, you know, all of these bones that you've found and you've said to yourself, this is a giraffe bone, this is a horse bone, it's really not. I'm telling you there were other animals that lived in different periods of time that do not exist anymore. Like, we take extinction as such an assumed fact, but it's funny to think that there was a time when people had to argue for extinction as a biological function. I mean, there are people who don't even accept evolution as a fact. So, I mean, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Here. I know. It's like, well, you know this about me. I'm a Christian guy, and people always think that Christians deny evolution. And I want to say it's not the case. Christians are fully able to embrace science and embrace evolution. I totally understand that over time, animals develop new abilities, develop new biological functions. That's not something I'm here to argue with you on. In but, fact, uh, you know, to, to, to Christianity's credit, uh, the Vatican did a lot for science, uh, astronomy specifically. I mean, once they got over Galileo, they mm -hmm. really embraced uh, the whole idea that, you know, the, the sun does not, in fact, revolve around the earth. So, you know, there, there's a lot of room for growth. Have you ever heard um, sea sh she, uh, she Sells Seashells by the Seashore? Like the poem? Yeah, the, the tongue the twister. Yeah. yeah, did you know that's about paleontology? 
fun little fact. Go on. Um, There was a woman whose name was... Molly Malone. Maybe it was... Or am I confusing nursery rhymes here? Maybe you're right. Maybe it was Molly. Mary. Mary. Mary Anning was her name. Although I I don't think I would have remembered that if you hadn't said Molly Malone. Mary Anning was her name. And she lived in uh, southern England, maybe Cornwall, Dorset, somewhere around there. And she was part of a family business that collected these oddities on the beach because, you know, they would have uh, ammonites and trilobites and these funny little... Yeah, weird stuff that come out of the cliffs. Yeah, that had come out of the cliffs and they just sold them as as curios. And it was her family business, you know, her dad and her mum and her brothers and whatnot had a, a shop that would sell these you know, funny little creatures. And she was the first one in the family to look at them and say, maybe there's a little bit more to it than this. And so she, I don't don't know if she was officially a paleontologist, but she was one of the, you know, the cornerstones of the paleontology movement. And she was a really important figure in that because she went from just selling these things as oddities to actually studying them and, you know, mapping them. And I think, and again, this is something I might be getting wrong and somebody's more than welcome to... um, chime in and tell me how bad I'm doing. I think she was one of the first people to try and, you know, fill in the blanks. They would say, we've got this head and this thigh bone and we're missing these parts. And she would sort of try and, you know, connect to it. I mean, we look at those pictures, those those paintings or drawings of what people think that dinosaurs look like. And nowadays people are saying, well, obviously we got that all wrong because they didn't accommodate for, you know, muscle density and fat and feathers and all that sort of stuff. But she was one of the first people who who really said, look, I've got this skull. I think I can sort of try and figure out what the brain was like, what the eye was like, what the... Sort of looked at it like a puzzle. Looked at it like a puzzle and also looked at it like an animal, tried to rebuild the organic nature of the animal. So, you know, young ladies, if you're interested in a career in paleontology, bear in mind that one of the first proper paleontologists was a, a pioneering lady salesman, saleswoman. And dudes were just busy making jackalopes. <laughs> dudes were busy making jackalopes? Hang on, talk about the jackalope for a second. <laughs> so a jackalope is, uh, is a sort of mythical creature that is a... Uh, a well, what's a, a jackrabbit, right? A large rabbit with, with antlers. Um, and you can see many examples of this because hunters, of course, would, would you know, uh, taxidermy chunks of animals together to make things like jackalopes right. and say that they'd hunted this mythical beast, uh, which was not helpful in a scientific way at all, but it makes for a really cool thing to hang up a bar. Do you know that happened with the platypus as well? When they brought the platypus back from Australia, people refused to believe it. People said, no, I won't be tricked. I don't believe that there is this animal. I think that's a fair response to encountering a To platypus. seeing a platypus? Yeah. Did you I know mean, that a, things are weird. a platypus is... This is, this is... this is weird. But a platypus produces both eggs and milk. I think it's the only animal it's, in the world that does it. it so you can the only animal in the world. You can make an omelette from a platypus. Yes, you can. You can make a quiche from a platypus. You can make a quiche from a platypus, but no other animal. Um, Every other animal you would need a partner with, but the platypus is able to do it. They also have, like, poisonous spines. Yeah, in their, their, in their toes. On their, on their, in their, on their toes. Feet. Yeah, in their toes. Right. They can yeah. jab you with their toes. Like, I mean, it's a pretty... I mean, of all God's creatures, that's a pretty incredible... Yeah, I mean, Australia has some wild, wild things going on down there. It really does. Yeah, Australian animals are... (laughs) You know, wombats take poops in in cubes? Wombat poop is cubes? They have very specialized bums for doing just that. 
And, I love uh, that there was a pause after no that. I love that we no both just... Okay. So, no, there's a, re- there's a reason. <laughs> I actually, I, I listened to something about this recently. Um, a woman who wrote a paper for the Journal of Soft Fluids or something like that. Like One of my favorite journals. Topic. One of my personal favorite. I always keep a copy of the Journal of Soft Fluids. Yeah, behind the behind the toilet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, whatever. There's this is real science, uh, and I guess the reason that scientists posit that wombats have cube-shaped poos is because, like many animals, wombats use scent contained within their poops to communicate with other animals, and because of the environment in which they live, they need that scent to disperse at a consistent rate. And if their poop were a different shape, uh, it would disperse at an inconsistent rate. Uh, similarly to the fact that we have ice cubes uh, as opposed to like ice spheres. Mm. Um, I'm not a wombat, so I can't uh, confirm or deny any of it this. Sounds like it makes sense. It sounds like the kind of thing that all of the words have come together to make something that sounds completely believable. Which anyway, is better than which is better than what better I come up with do. most weeks. Yeah. But uh, listeners, if you know better than we do, uh, bear in mind that we are not journalists. We don't research or fact check anything we ever say. No. Everything we uh, everything we present to you could, in fact, be a lie. Which um, is also why if, we have the cup, so that we cannot know which word is coming out and we cannot do any practice beforehand. But it's also it's also why we have voicemail. So feel free to visit us at uh, podpage.com slash ed dash Peter. Uh, click the voicemail button on the right-hand side of the screen and uh, give us what for. Give us what for. It, I would also like to mention, just because um, you and I are on a little bit of a personal crusade to get some attention from the Niagara Falls Board of Tourism. And while we're on the subject of paleontology, Niagara Falls actually has a dinosaur park. Have you been to the Niagara Falls Dinosaur Park, Peter? I have not had the pleasure. Nor have I. I have not had the pleasure of going to Niagara Falls uh, Dinosaur Park, but I understand that there is a Ferris wheel and some statues, some large recreated dinosaurs that you can take photographs with this is just me trying to pitch people on niagara falls because imagine how great it would be to do a podcast from a ferris wheel in niagara falls yeah from the niagara falls dinosaur i don't know what it's live called. above the niagara falls dinosaur park i am i'm gonna do something that i swear i i have sworn not to do in this podcast but i'm gonna i'm gonna google for details <laughs> i'm sorry it's, it's it's gonna happen takes away some of my integrity niagara falls dinosaur adventure it's called oh it's a it's a mini golf it's a mini golf thing there you go so you can well, go do some really hard to podcast in mini golf and freaking dinosaur mini golf who wouldn't want that niagara falls we're really pitching for you Please. i think that's really that's next to the the uh <laughs> the go-karts that i love so much and that we've discussed in the past and go-karts there's mini golf there's go-karts there's falling water everything you could possibly want at niagara falls so niagara falls please pay us for saying this <laughs> We love you. We love you. All right, Peter, any last um, thoughts? Any last input? Any last things that you've thought of while we've been talking about dinosaurs? I would would like to interject one more thing. Did you know that dinosaur, the word dinosaur means terrible lizard, which I think is just hilarious. (laughs) Why why would they pick such a mean a mean-spirited name for it. I don't think it's terrible lizard, as in, like, we found it and we were like, oh, this is a really crap lizard. As far as lizards go, this one's pretty terrible. I think it was more like, you know, Ivan the Terrible, like the terrible lizards. No, I don't don't think somebody dug it up and was like, oh, I was expecting a way better lizard. This this, one's terrible. This lizard sucks. (laughs) Oh, man. Of all the lizards I've had to dig up, this one is really, really (laughs) sub. It's a real piece of shit. Um, I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Peter, would you like to tell people about our website and uh, Uh, the merchandise? I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but 
uh, you can you can visit us once again at uh, podpage.com slash ed-peter. And uh, you can find merch. You can find links to our past episodes. You can subscribe to further episodes. And, uh, again, leave us a voicemail. And uh, let us know your thoughts on Niagara Falls and why it's the best place in the world. <laughs> and please petition on our behalf the Tourism Board of Niagara Falls to make us their official spokespersons. Ed and Peter yes. dash Niagara Falls dash victory is I don't know, three words yeah. I just said. That's coming. It'll come soon. It'll uh, come soon enough. I'm Ed. I'm Peter. Have a great week. <laughs>